This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. Penalties? What is penalties? <laughs> Who are Man United? It's been yet another week of controversy surrounding the FAI as John Delaney was brought out in front of the Oireachtas Committee to only answer a grand total of zero questions about his time as CEO. There have also since been reports of Delaney leaving the FAI completely and of his spending using the corporate credit card of the FAI. What did you make of all, Andrew? Uh, it, none of it surprises me. He d- he went the the Oireachtas Committee went to a parliamentary committee which doesn't have any legal grounds, but it's the same in most other countries that you can get called in front of the government in front of elected members of 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 government or elected members. They're not even in the government necessarily, and questioned you know on matters that are important to the state and you know given that the FAI is heavily funded from the government and a lot of its like infrastructure is has been funded by the government in the past they do have rights to to answer these questions uh, Delaney had a prepared statement which he refused to give to the committee beforehand which is protocol you meant to present any written statements to the, to the committee beforehand so they can review them and their legal advisors can review them he didn't do that so it caused an immediate adjournment while the committee members reviewed his legal his legal document and that legal document went on to say due to legal advice John Delaney had received he could not say anything relating to his 15 years as as CEO and could only speak about his position as a executive vice president the role that he created for himself and appointed himself to only two weeks prior yeah and like the, you mentioned how like the government helps fund the FAI like not anymore no they, they've they saw that Sports they've Ireland have, have, have saw, well they've already given them half their funding for this year because the FAI as they often do request the funding up front wonder why yeah. that, that happens now like they kind of they want all the money as soon as possible uh, but they've suspended their funding like some of the people didn't come out of this like the, the you don't want to be derogatory about them but the dinosaurs that were like there's, a, there's several members of the FAI board who are govern, who are supposedly meant to be the governance and oversight for John Delaney and his cronies. And several of them are lifetime members of the FAI board. They're like honorary members almost. And they're, they're ancient. And there's no way, like one of them was asked, quite, like the honorary treasurer, I believe he is. I forget his name. Forgive me for forgetting his name. But he was asked, uh, how many bank accounts does he have? Like very basic questions. They really went down to the basic nitty gritty. It's like, these people don't know anything about the organization they're meant to be in charge of. How many bank accounts do you have? And your man said one in a kind of, you know, fairly <laughs> confident, but also fairly, you know, questiony way. And he was like, there, there's seven or eight accounts at least. And there's, you know, they don't know how many bank accounts and they're not a huge organization. It's not like you're going to a, a giant billion dollar company and asking how many bank accounts you maintain because they could maintain hundreds of them. Yeah, you're this, asking, is, this is an apple or something. Yeah, you're asking a tre- like the treasurer who was a treasurer in the past and is the honorary treasurer now. How many accounts do you have? And they don't know. They they many times, although the chairman, Donald Conway, the the chairman of the FAI board, several times did try to defend the tr- current treasurer of the FAI who only started two weeks ago, and is trying to get to grips all that because a lot of the questions relating to funding and money all went to him, and they had no idea what was going on. Uh, so. It, it was a kind of disgrace. It went on for eight hours. John Delaney didn't answer anything. The only thing he did was when he was called a disgrace by Imelda Munster, the one of the members of the of the committee, he was like, I, I, I acknowledge your remarks. I note your remarks. 
I've already given my. He was like really angry saying it, as if he was like, "I'm putting you on a list now." Yeah, I'll get mine back to you. Well, he had a good laugh when uh, Michael Healy Ray was talking about bringing out the red carpet. Yeah, another or, another elected official in Ireland, Michael Healy Ray. He was a bit of a joke in the, in in Ireland. Uh, who isn't on the committee, but due to the rules of Irish parliamentary committees, if you do show up to a committee meeting and wait, you will be allowed to speak as an elected official. And he did just that and spent three minutes. Uh, lavishing praise on John Delaney and the great work he's done, and he'll be he'll be welcomed into Kerry later on in the month to open a new set of pitches with some. Didn't didn't ask a single question nope. in his time. Nope. And like later on, we if we go into the what what the revelations like over the weekend, apparently it was a lot of uh, close. It was a kind of those Trump leaks, you know. You hear leaks from Trump White House that actually come from Donald Trump because he's talking to his friends who then talk to <laughs> the media, and it's like, where do these leaks come from? Well, they come from the top. And this is it. It's like some of John Delaney's friends were in touch with some other journalists saying that he's going to leave the FAI completely yeah. and just go to UEFA altogether or something like that was the, the gist of the... We still unconfirmed, unconfirmed reports of it. But uh, so that came through at the weekend. And then, and then uh, Mark Ty, who we brought up a few weeks ago yeah. when we talked about this th- more thoroughly, reported again about the, the credit card use of John Delaney. Now he spent like 40 grand or whatever it was over yeah. the course of six months on just general life things I guess uh, well I wouldn't even say general life things and bringing up Michael Healy Ray uh, there is uh, not a substantial amount of money but a bit of money was spent in one of the the service per fuel petrol stations gas stations I think it was 67 euro or yeah, something yeah like not, not a huge amount but a bit of the money that from that credit card bill so basically for the someone got a hold of the visa bill or mask I'm not sure what provided the credit card was but the corporate account for the FAI that John Delaney had sole control over uh, for the six months between the June and December of 2016, so the year of Euro 2016, the reports and John Delaney had spent forty thousand euro, which was more, as you said to me earlier, more than prize money that was going for League of Ireland clubs. Yeah, the team that wins League of Ireland it gets forty thousand. Yeah. At the end of the season for winning League yeah. of Ireland, like that's how comparable it is. Yeah, and you know it's a lot more than you know the the remunerate remuneration whatever the word is for when you get paid the salaries that are paid to players and staff and everyone like that it's a lot more than most of them get throughout the FAI for a whole year's work but he spent it in six months in 2016 on uh there was what a few hundred pounds on a very special shirts bought from some very special uh uh, gourmet not gourmet but you know um, very fancy shirts bought in England uh, Tommy Hilfiger I think we're down for at least a few hundred if not a few thousand and his salary of course is 360 grand a year as well yeah and he had his of rent of about 40 grand a year paid as well uh, living in a living in a luxurious Shoyga, house Grand yeah, house a cele- Irish celebrity's house <laughs> yeah, outside of Dublin uh, he paid for luxury tickets and flights for his girlfriend's family about eight of them to travel to Euro 2016 as a tournament out of the FEI's, you know, coffers. But like he, the whole thing has just been a joke. Like yeah. it's been a disgrace. It's one disgrace after the next. Yeah. And, and it's not like any of us, we're not surprised. I'm not surprised. With oh yeah, none of it I is I fully surprise. expected him to be doing this. It, it's a, it's, it's a the, terrible the microcosm surprise, of what Ireland is. It's a the very surprise is that it's all actually come out and John Laney is actually possibly going to suffer some possibly, consequences. Possibly. And other people at the FEI who kind of let it go on. Like one of the things that came out in the Oireachtas Committee during the week uh, was that, uh, that John Laney said that the members of the board were made aware of the 100,000 bridging loan but it was only two members of the board many of them weren't even told about until March 8th till the story broke in the uh, in the Sunday Times 
like it, there's just lies and like the governance people have no they don't know like that well far be it for them to find out that hundred thousand they were in financial strait if that was the case that the FBI were in such financial trouble that they needed the CEO to come out with cash to bail them out on his own and then pay him back a few months later on the quiet and nobody knows and buy a check like let, let alone like like there's a, so much wrong with the organisation yeah. there's so much wrong with how he can show up with the other people to an, a, an official government committee could you imagine showing up in, in the UK or in the United States or in France or in Germany or other major countries even, even minor countries in the Benelux region if you were to show up or New Zealand or Australia or anywhere like that show up to a government committee for oversight that d- dictates a, a substantial amount of your funding that has built the stadia that you use that is the reason why you're in power and the reason why you know they, they speak for the people they are elected officials of the people and you treat them and it's a cross party thing so it's not even one party it's everyone who's involved in this and you treat them with such disdain that you don't talk to them you answer an angry in an angry fashion and no comment whenever a, a topic is raised to them you keep them waiting for eight hours you you do nothing you you but like utter contempt like if that was a court of law you'd be held in contempt for for his behaviour like it's it's a real bad microhealth concern because he knew he'd get away with it and he did get away with it he just didn't get away with the fact that he did this other stuff as well like if he hadn't spent 40 grand on like nothing on like suits and shirts and executive dry cleaning and cars uh, you know getting transport transfers stuff, like. like but just taking the absolute piss with it because it's you're getting paid a fortune. You don't pay your rent. Like, you're abusing the system. And it is well... But the, the worst thing about it all is it even related to football. Is it's not, That's not an unusual thing in semi-state companies in, in Ireland. In, in, con- in companies that have... Or in organisations that have ties to the state. That if you grease up the right palms, allegedly, you can get things done and get your own little empire going. And if everyone... And if you don't bother anyone and keep your own business to yourself and make the right people happy and, you know... We didn't even speak about John Delaney's five thousand euro grants he could dish out to anyone he wanted at any any place in the country. So he'd go to a local politician who may be you know could be on a committee that may be critical of him in the future, and he gives a five thousand euro grant for a new local kid soccer field or uh, some goalposts or you know coaching for kids locally. It's great for the politician. He gets a like a photo op out of it, and. It's great for John Delaney because then he gets no more questions asked about whatever he's doing with the other three hundred and sixty grand of his salary every year or whatever. Like we don't even we haven't even scratched the surface with a lot of stuff. It, it's really been just a depressing story, and like it feels like we haven't even reached the nadir yet. No, so we no. will we will cover more of that yeah. as, as it he's comes. Still, as we speak, he's still in there, yeah. and his cronies, which is the thing, is like it's not just the rotten core. Of that, you know, of an apple. It, it's the whole lady. thing, the, the whole, whole thing. apple. Like, like this was, I don't. Before we put a put a pin in it, the the thing with this is, I was thinking, it's like, what if, you know, and it won't happen due to a lot of political reasons, which are very good political reasons, a lot of other reasons relating to history, but you know, a lot of the arguments in the past have been the FAI. If if people don't know, Ireland has split into two in terms of its football administration, when in other sports like hockey or I think cricket or. Uh, rugby union and i think rugby league ireland is one sporting entity because you know we're a small country it makes sense to have one sporting entity for the island even if there is two two distinct countries operating on one partitioned island that's fair enough but it being due to a, a rift that happened whatever 80 years ago between people in northern ireland and people in the republic of ireland there are two separate uh, soccer teams that operate out of ireland and a, an excuse that was always made 
when talking about, oh, maybe the teams should unify to boost both teams' chances of success and boost the whole country and have a better like league structure in Ireland. Because there's two leagues operating, two cup competitions. Everything is separated. And maybe we should do something to join those up together. And a, a, an argument that was made always against it was like, oh, there's t- the administrators will stop it. There's too much admin. There's too many bureaucrats in it. And they'll put an end to it because you can't have that many bureaucrats in one organisation. What if we get rid of these bureaucrats in the FAI and then just form up and have one association of football of Ireland? We'll name, we'll name it something else. AFI, AF. We'll just call it the FA now. The name's, the name's yeah, not the taken name, anymore. Name, yeah. <laughs> but like, it's not going to happen. No, and that's all. an ideal scenario. But imagine if you could happen. use this opportunity to get something good out of it. Because like, for for nothing else, you'd at least get a bit, maybe a bit more stringent oversight and you wouldn't be as uh, susceptible to parish politics of you know, some guy with power going around to uh, a local politician, like an elected official that sits in the nation's parliament and, you know, maybe putting a few goalposts here and there and then that politician never says a bad word about you again. Maybe you can get away from that kind of behaviour. I think it's time we we move away from this yeah. depressing talk and let's go back to the on-the-pitch stuff. Uh, let's go over let's to the, talk about the, the UK. The, yeah, the, the, the fairly... Uh, mediocre football that that happened to this weekend. We'll, we'll refresh off the uh, Liverpool Chelsea match. We we just finished watching it here. Well, what did you make of that? Liverpool impressive in the second half. Well, you made the point early on in the match that it was this is a lot different from Liverpool of Chelsea five years, yeah, ago, five yeah. years ago, where it was very much this is a control performance from Chelsea and this is the Liverpool side who don't really know what they're doing. They're just trying to like railroad teams and win very early and it didn't work then but this Liverpool side was a lot different they dominated from early on they let Chelsea have the ball at times they picked at weaknesses in the Chelsea play in defence Chelsea weren't lucky as well they lost Rudiger who was their best defender uh, and they you know missed a couple of really guilty chances uh, yeah like the it felt a bit like Liverpool were kind of allowing them to counter-attack them a little yeah. bit because when, because when Chelsea did counter-attack when it wasn't Hazard on the ball, you wonder, okay, you kind of need to get this to Hazard. Yeah. And when Hazard was on the ball, it was kind of like, well, who's, who does he have to work with here? Yeah. Other than the four Liverpool players that surround him. Yeah, I did love, and I, it's like Raheem Sterling, I know we're on top of very briefly, Raheem Sterling did score two more goals again today, didn't he? Yeah, he scored, two, he scored two more goals. one. Was it one more goal? I think it was just one. Just yeah. one more goal. A but very he, good finish, though. Very or no, it was two. It was, it was two. two, yeah. Nice little tap kind of pass. In the yeah, the first the goal was uh, nicely set up by Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, but... And all, all credit to Raheem Sterling, but Virgil van Dijk has brought some kind of nice... You like watching defending when Virgil van Dijk is playing. Because on multiple occasions, it didn't even happen once, it happened twice, it didn't happen three times, maybe four or five times today. There was a Chelsea counter-attack happening. And there was, Liverpool did have the numbers, as we said, as you just said there, they would surround them. But Virgil van Dijk wouldn't run. He'd nicely jog backwards, <laughs> leaving a good gap, so he wasn't committing himself. Leaving a good gap of maybe a yard or two. Just to slow. Like, there was one in the first half where he just really slowed down Eden Hazard, and just like and then Hazard now, kicked it to him. Yeah, now do something. And if you put the, the striker, you put the ball back in the player's head. It's almost like um, Wayne Rooney would make often make the make the claim that he used to visualize goals he would score the day before, because it became an unconscious thing. And players like Danny Welbeck have oft, often been criticized for thinking too much. And if you make a footballer think with the ball at their feet, they can't. The time it takes them to think and do something when it's not almost an automatic like automation thing. This is Arsene Wenger also had this uh, this uh, f- coaching philosophy that you have to make things automatic for the players. You have to build up relationships so they don't have to think about what they're going to do next. And if you make the player think about what they're going to have to do next, 
unless they're like messy or unless they have just like overwhelmed you somehow they're they're not going to do that as well as they could have done if they could have a straight run at you and do it as they've been doing it for 20 years since they've been small children yeah like the thing is whenever a player does something spectacular in a match and they get interviewed after the after the yeah. game or whatever the interview will likely ask them oh what was going through your mind when you're doing that but yeah. nine times out of ten the player is like oh, i wasn't really thinking i was just kind of doing Mo Salah today with a back heel nutmeg was yeah. that Mo Salah or was it Firmino that did oh, that whoever it was I think it was Firmino whatever I, I have to watch it back but that was complete like no way he thought oh I'm going to go do this now you can make an argument that uh, Mo Salah's goal was exactly the same as that he was like he's not really thinking about like, cutting just like, in and hitting this with the outside of his foot to kind of curve it a bit out way at, at most he was thinking I think I'm just going to hit yeah, this yeah I'm just going to hit it hit it hit it there was no there's no thinking about it and that's something that Virgil van Dijk brings out of players and it sums it says you know yeah, make him player of the year because you know very seldom do defenders get a chance to be player yeah, of the year. Yeah, I can't like, think of any. G- John Terry got John one. Terry get it. Paul McGrath got the. I don't know if John Terry ever got the football writers one, and the PFA one. Paul McGrath got it for Aston Villa back in the nineties. Yeah, well, that was the last early one. Yeah, 90s, I remember. So, yeah. And Paul McGrath and Virgil Van Dijk kind of are similar oh, yeah, kind of defenders. Much. Like they're not overly fast. They're not overly. They're know, physically imposing. Yeah, and they they win things and they read the game very well, which is something that you can say a lot, has been lost a lot in recent years in defending because there's been this switch. There was an initial switch from two strikers to one striker and now we've kind of seen this kind of slow going back to more than one striker and being able to adapt to playing three at the back and four at the back. So defending is, you know, there's it's been a rough few years for defending if, if we're being honest. They're still trying to catch up with yeah, kind of what's going on no, the other end of the pitch. But there's been no real outstanding defending and even the players in global football that you say, oh, these are great defenders, they're not really known for their amazing defending, the likes of uh, Jerome Botang or Sergio Ramos. You know, in the last five to ten years, they're not known for their, like, what, Virgil van Dijk is doing which is just controlling the game and then leading like he was getting everyone on, on their toes he yells at them he, get, he supports them and it, it's something nice to watch you know they probably won't win the league so maybe he'll get those solo awards like last year with Salah yeah he could be the Davis you know if exactly. uh, City do go on to win the quadruple <laughs> yeah it could well be that uh, but the thing is though like the way the fixtures are set up now that was by far Liverpool's tough, toughest two matches there between Chelsea and Tottenham last week or two weeks ago now yeah. so they, they got like you'd, you'd probably say they could win the, their last four games so the pressure is very much now on City yeah. who now have to win all their remaining games to win the league because you think if they drop points in any one match yeah. that could be it yeah. and they'd play Tottenham and Man United coming yeah. up as well so a few a few difficult games for City uh, who won today against Crystal Palace Comfortable it's pretty com- comfortable in the yeah. end, yeah. But Chelsea's top four hopes dented now. They're they're still in the top four, it's but they're very tough for them. To they get. play more games than everyone around. Two more than Arsenal, who sit in sixth now, despite uh, not having played this weekend. They fall to sixth because Man United and Tottenham won. Tottenham comfortable against Huddersfield. Huddersfield just not very good. Oh, like, and that's what I want to speak because we're going to speak about it very quickly in the in the top of the show. So I won't I won't say too much now, but. Huddersfield are very bad Huddersfield are gone as in I don't think many of the players are some of them are worried about their contracts whether they can get stay in Premier League clubs but the majority of them are going down and I think they know that well and they want to stay at Huddersfield so it's a case of um, consolidating where they are and trying to figure out what's going to happen next year get on the manager's good side and I don't think they're going to leave that much on the pitch between now and the end of the season and as a result I, that that 
that scoreline definitely flatters Spurs. And then it was two late goals as well, yeah. which always usually flatters a, yeah, a team. Yeah. And then May Night against West Ham. May Night not impressive. Two no, penalties again. needed to beat West Ham. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer speaking, like giving out after the match about having to play on Wednesday and then Tuesday. Like, it's, I, I don't want to say it, I told you so, but my prophecy is coming through about Ollie that he, and even from the point he was, and if you remember that, the point he was appointed, I'd said he was very angry at Cardiff, and that anger is starting to come back through in these post match interviews and giving out about, and kind of not Mourinhoizing things, but certainly feeling the pressure, I think, because. Because Mourinho, I think, was doing it on purpose. I don't think Ollie's doing it on purpose that he's getting very angry, very agitated, and not reacting well to criticism when he when it comes his way, and his team not reacting to it. Now it's early days. Rest season will happen. He'll get the summer and all that. But yeah, like we the did, prophecy is coming through. It was it was last week or two. I can't remember. It was two weeks ago or last week where we went through the Manchester United squad and picked out players that could go and probably could stay. And like you look at the starting eleven, like Marcus Rowe playing at left back, like he has to leave the club really. Like that's the kind of performance where. That's probably the last time he plays for Ryan United. We like we have we will go on to talk about the match against Barcelona, but Ashley Young, like that feels like one of the last times he should ever play for Manchester United. Phil Jones similarly <laughs> against West Ham. They've got new contracts, so sorry. Yeah, yeah those players have. Like, yeah. We, we were looking at the, during the Champions League match during the weekend, like whew, very few players on that side. You're looking at the the kids really and De Gea if they can hold on to De Gea. Yeah, Mason Greenwood made his first appearance at Old Trafford, which yeah. I suppose is good for yeah. him. Yeah, so they have a team. core kid team there, but. You know, kids need to be coached. I don't know if, like, just yeah, hashing, re- rehashing. Like, a lot of these kids weren't even cognizant when Solskjaer himself was playing. Sure, Mason Greenwood wouldn't have been alive when Solskjaer has, when Solskjaer has won it, yeah. say, yeah. in 99. Like, he's, Greenwood's 17, I think, yeah. and just turned 17. So, there's not, you know, you can't leverage that forever. Yeah. And, like, like you see great coaches kind of fade with that. You know, great players who become coaches, kind of, that kind of influence fades very quickly once they get past their initial thing. But it is, uh, we're being a bit too, um, how would you say it? We're going very much to conclusions already. Yeah, like, it, it, like it'll be, we'll learn a lot more about Solskjaer the yeah. first And they did win this season. match against West Ham, you know, yeah. despite them playing badly. It, it did reek a lot of the last two league matches that Manchester United have played against, was it Wolves and... The one they won before that that they were very bad in as well. Watford. It was a Watford. Yeah, yeah. It was Watford. Yeah. yeah, Watford it was. And like, ooh, who are they playing next week? Uh, next week they are against Everton away. Yeah, and Everton are for some bizarre reason in the best kind, like the best thing you call close to form this year. Oh, they did lose two 0 to Fulham. <laughs> yeah, but that's <laughs> I mean, what I mean. <laughs> but the best, the They're best, still very consistent. You know, yeah. You can go for stats. That's that's the way people that don't understand football analyze football is with stats I don't go for stat I don't go for stat the Champions League quarterfinal first legs took place last week the game of the round undoubtedly being Ajax versus Juventus but Manchester City suffered defeat at the hands of Tottenham Manchester United were poor against a not very good Barcelona and Liverpool were as comfortable as expected yeah Liverpool really just kind of Went to an autopilot very early in, in their It's two, two quick goals. I think, yeah. uh, I think it was before they even kicked off. I was just saying to you, yeah, they'll probably finish 2-0. Yeah, 2-0. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They apparently are much better this year, but no. Even if they well, have their, a, better, a, full, a better strength side out. Technically, they are better than last year. Cause last year lost 5-0. Yeah, but it was... Oh, yeah. at home as at well. Home. This is a way. Yeah, they have the home leg to come. They could yet do it. Uh, so, yeah, Liverpool look fairly comfortable. I don't expect them to really 
be challenged much in the second leg. Yeah, um, the second leg's probably a good chance for them to rest a couple of players. Yeah, considering they've had a busy week, they had Chelsea, obviously, and they've had, you know, a, a Champions League quarterfinal. I don't expect them to put too many... Yeah, it's uh, not going to be a B-side or anything. No. You have to respect Porto. Yeah, Daniel Sturridge isn't going to get a game. Or Bakary. Like, I wouldn't be... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if the likes of... Shakiri will probably Shaqiri gets a start. It looks like Jordan Henderson's going to be injured. James Milner will probably start. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you'll see... Alberto Moreno. Is, is that too far? That might be too far. But you, you'll get a few other players getting getting some game time that they, they may have missed out on. You might get a few subs. But I expect them to be very... They want to be confined. Like they were against Porto. They fairly... How'd you say it? They they didn't do the whole set out two blanks of four and defend once they got the two two goal lead, but they did do the whole I could pass forward now, but I'm gonna pass it sideways. Yeah. <laughs> you know Passing it forward requires too much thought yeah, and you ever, energy. Graeme Souness uh, in the mid eighties sometime. Oh, and he was by the edge of the box. He was in the centre circle. He won a, a tackle in the centre circle, I believe, had the ball, then immediately turned on a sixpence like Gerd Muller in his prime. And played a long ball back to his own keeper. That is such a great moment. Yeah, so it's just timeless. I think it was against Man United. I could be wrong. But it, it is something spectacular to watch. Oh, yeah. That's, it's one of the great... That is proper yeah, great. Yeah, it's up there. Like, if you watch Italy in 82 against Brazil near the end, like, they were... I felt so bad for some of those Brazilian players <laughs> watching, watching uh, you know, what's what's the name of that? Bergami just playing one-twos with Zeno Zoff. Zeno Zoff picking up the ball, bouncing it, rolling it back to... Burgundy. I was like, oh. Oh, got a little details. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then the other matches, Tottenham Manchester City was kind of a, like, City put out a weird starting 11 before the match. We were all kind of wondering what was yeah, going the, on. Yeah, like, City put out, um, so to, to give you the, the background to it, it felt, City put out, didn't play Kevin De Bruyne. Did played, play uh, Bernardo Silva, did, who it did turn out was injured. Didn't turn yes. out injured. We didn't know that. At, no Sané. At the time. No Sané on the bench as well. Did play Gundogan, did play... No Fernandinho, no yeah. Fernandinho, yeah, but that was what I was... But played Gundogan, who played alongside Gundogan? David Silva. And uh, who was the third midfielder? Who on earth was the third? Um, was it Fernandinho? Right. No, Fernandinho did yeah, play, because remember he tackled Harry Oh Kane. yeah, he got Harry Kane with the back of the head. Yeah, we'll that's Harry Kane in a little while, but Fernandinho and Gundogan played right in front of the back four. And they kept... What was the word? Physicality was was a uh, yeah. It was very physical match. Yeah, and they they intended to go out there. They they it was if Pep went into this match before and it's like this is not the Spurs side that beat my Man City side, the two years ago whatever it was two now. nil yeah two nil at Wembley was it, no, no was that was at White Lane, Lane. that's how game, long ago it was. yeah it was the last game they played against each other at White Hart Lane these two sides and that is not the same team that was a high pressing team who got right at Chelsea right not right at Chelsea right at Man City from the get go pressed goal kicks pressed. Claudio Bravo, as it was at the time, pressed the centre halves who were. Was it Dima played that match? It could probably have, Otamendi. Otamendi and uh, whoever else. Was, Stones, probably. So. Yeah, maybe. And just got mistakes out of Clichy, got mistakes out of Sanya, and, you know, really destroyed. That was the end of City's, I think, 10 match winning run or whatever it was. That really the saw the end, like, the end of their title challenge, really, well, yeah, in a way. In a way, yeah, because Team Sen suddenly had a way to play against them. And City didn't have the players at the time to kind of cope and readapt and reset the way they wanted to play. So that did really spell an end for their... Because they couldn't win enough matches between them. Yeah, they just lost silly matches. Think of the 4-0 against Everton. They had a few of those kind of matches. You just had to be on top of them and you could draw mistakes from the defenders. Now, Pep didn't think that was going to happen again, but he did think that there was going to be a battle zone because Spurs have come a long way since then and not necessarily in a positive light. They found a different way to play, which was something that was lacking that season and the season before when Spurs failed to win the league title. But they found a dirtier way to play it. Maybe dirtier is a bit... 
A more a big, smart way. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's smarter either, but a way smart, to play... Smart in the way a footballer gets smart, and yeah. not a clever way. Yeah, a way to play when you're not playing very well. Yeah. And that is the way Spurs have really been going since Christmas, I'd say, when kind of fatigue, tiredness, injury started catching up with them. And the fact that they haven't signed any players in over a year uh, and they have let players go and everyone that's there is a bit older and a bit more weary than they were when they first started out for Spurs. All of that combined led to kind of a not so good performance for Spurs over the last two months really. Yeah, like their form really dropped then as well in terms of defeats. Like they were losing four to five matches I think it was. Harry Kane's goal scoring hasn't been to the level that I think he only has what, 17 league goals this season? Yeah, it's dried up. Yeah, not to the level he, he was at in previous years certainly and I think not necessarily down to his own form although that played part of a role to it but it's down to the whole team like they just don't have the energy to keep the tempo up and it always happens near the end of the season that Spurs tend to collapse like it's happened almost every year that Pochettino's been there because they kind of run out of steam and this season we were like oh is it going to happen again and Pep to combat that kind of and there's been talk that he overthought it but he thought okay they're going to want to play very hard football and really put the put us under pressure in terms of physicality and breaking down kind of space that we'd often exploit. So we're going to go around that. We're going to play very physical from the back and we're just going to push them on and not give them much credit that they'll do anything in midfield when they have the ball. And that kind of worked. It kind of, the game played out the way Pep, I think, saw it and thought it was going to play out. Just the result didn't go his way. Do you think that like it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy really for Pep that it, like because he, he kind of dragged himself down to Tottenham's yeah. level? He didn't think Tottenham had anything midfield, so he just put the, the, the war horses in midfield to kind of stifle anything that they would have and get regain the ball and play it back forward to the creative players. But it, but it ended up stifling themselves as well. Because yeah. like, think back to what Hugo Lloris had to do in the match. Obviously, he, just, he did very well to save Aguero's penalty, yeah. which wasn't the greatest penalty of Aguero's no. career. But it's still, it's difficult for any keeper to save yeah. any penalty most of the time. Uh, so like, but besides the penalty save, Hugo Lloris didn't actually yeah. have all that much nope. to do, really. No, nope. they didn't. Really Edison didn't have much to do either, but nope. he was also suspect for the goal. As yeah. and like playing Fabian Delph at left back, like that was then exploited for the goal. Yeah. And like Pep, instead of just trusting Mendy, who seems like he doesn't quite get on with. Mendy's was, dead to him. Yeah, he, <laughs> something to that extent is what's happened. At, like there the was a whole kind of not bust up, like they didn't get into a physical row with each other nope. or anything. Nope. But it seems like Pep. Was kind of took offence to Benjamin Mendy going out late. Mm. I think it was three thirty a.m. He stayed out until very recently, yeah. a day before he was supposed to be in was early for, for training. training yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's kind of ruined the relationship that was there, which I think was already on rocky ground. Like, yeah. Obviously, you know they could still uh, mend things together I... to make the fun, but. Uh, I, I wouldn't shock me if, if City were in the market for a left back this yeah, summer. Yeah, but it, it makes it like Fabian Delph played, didn't play particularly well, did break Harry Kane, which could that, be good that, for City that in the was longer such run. A stupid, like, not a stupid tackle necessarily, because I think Fabian Delph just, you know, he was yeah. clearing the ball and he just caught Harry Kane. It's unlucky from his point of yeah. view, but it was so stupid from Harry Kane. Because, like, what was Fabian Delph doing with the ball? He's, playing it back he to... He was doing what Graham Soonest did. Yeah, playing it back to the exact yeah. same, yeah. Well, yeah, well, you see, it was at a period in, like, the match, we, we spoke very briefly of Fernandinho. In the first half, Fernandinho clattered Harry Kane in a, in a header, in a duel, you know, high ball. Fernandinho wins it and then lands on Harry Kane and then as he's getting Elbow up... Elbow first. Yeah, but as he's getting up, also puts all his weight on Harry Kane's neck and head and kind of, oh, you know, what's going on here? And it, it looks Oh, I'm really, so clumsy. Yeah, I'm really clumsy and I'm just leaving the foot in that bit longer. And that was at a period of the match when City were actually on top and they were 
twist in the knife a little bit in terms of the match. And so Spurs reacted and they reacted in, okay, they're not, we're not going to let them do what they've done the whole match, which is when Fernandinho and when Gundogan have the ball, we give them all the space in the world. We're not going to close them down because there's too many of them. They'll just play it around us. So Harry Kane dropped deep, started pressing. Uh, so did Deli Alley. So did uh, Song. If Deli Alley was still in the field at that point. I think he was. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. So did Song. All, all of the attacking players dropped right into midfield to help out the midfield to press Man City. And it, it worked. It, it upset Man City because they started like playing it wide, playing it weird, playing it sideways. And that's how it ended up with Fabian Delph at the half, you know, on the halfway line, going out of play and then to salvage, to prevent a, a, a throw-in, playing it back to his goalkeeper. But Harry Kane went in t- tight to him to try and like, oh, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm, I'm doing my bit for the team. Go to leave a mark you know, on him almost. Yeah, you know, line, like Lionheart, Harry Kane went in and clumsily, he went in and then even more clumsily, Fabian Delph kind of used Harry Kane's ankle as leverage for kicking the ball back to his goalkeeper. Which is not a comfortable position to be put in, and that kind of like it t- at the very least, Harry Kane is t- badly twisted ankle. Yeah, he immediately hopped off yeah. down the tunnel. Like, didn't even yeah, he sit knew down. it was bad. Yeah, because you know when your ankle goes like that, like it could be just a, a bad sprain. Like we won't know for definite for a week or two. I, I think Pacino said that it's likely he won't play again this season yeah. unless Tottenham yeah. get to a Champions League. But that's League it. Final. Like a, that's like sprain his ligaments. You know that's bad. Yeah, and like he's had ankle injuries before yes. as well. Like he's missed yeah. multiple months with ankle injuries. And, but maybe it could be it could be a silver, like not to, for Spurs fans or anyone like that out there or England fans for that matter. It might be a silver lining because the last time Harry Kane had, like really blew up was the summer he took off from. Remember he took off from the under twenty ones. Yeah. He didn't play and he kind of came back then the following. That was his first big season when he got twenty five plus goals, I think. Uh, so maybe having a summer off and kind of regroup because he hasn't been at the races this season. I know he scored seventeen goals in the league. Well, that's like ten goals less than he's been getting the last yeah. few seasons. Yeah, exactly. Like he'd be on pace for thirty goals. Like he hasn't got there yet, but he's he's always coming close enough to it. And this season, even though I know everyone's goals are down this season, it's post World Cup that tends to happen. He hasn't played well for a lot of it. He has missed missed some time for injury. And Spurs themselves are probably aren't helping them out by not signing anybody or changing any way they do anything. Uh, Spurs have won five of the last seven games at Hurricane, so maybe for the second yeah, leg, yeah. it could work in their favour. Statistically favor. speaking, like we, we said it earlier on the season when they lost Hurricane for that short spell with injury that you'd be worried about Spurs, but Son stepped up at the time, started scoring the goals. They have Lucas Moura now, who's, as we said earlier in the show, He's got the confidence now. Yeah, he scored a hat-trick against Huddersfield, although that's what I wanted to speak about when I brought it up earlier in the show, is Huddersfield are gone. They are not someone to measure yourselves against. They're not someone to measure your ability to keep a clean sheet, which is the one thing they have to do now, and to also score goals. Because I don't see Lucas Moura bar some kind of another calamitous error like the one that led to Son Min Young. Son Min Young. That's correct. Son Hing. Son. Yeah, you've messed me up. I've messed Son, up. Yeah. Son. Son. Let's yeah. just Son scoring a goal which should never have been scored. Delph, like we said, like why. Like, uh, what's the name of the, your man, the young fella, the guy that looks like Kevin De Bruyne? Sinchenko. Sinchenko. Where is... Like, that was the question. It's like, why didn't Sinchenko... I, I meant to look this up. I think, I think he is injured, but okay. I'm not 100% But, uh, on that. you know, Delft did well enough last season, deputising when Mendy was off from... Not off, but was injured for most of the season. But, like, you saw time and time again during the match, he, he wasn't comfortable on the ball. He didn't have the technique or the... I don't want to say stamina, but he didn't have the know-how to... When to move up and down the wing... As a fullback, which is like things you do if you get from playing fullback every week. It's stuff that Mendy does. It's stuff that Kyle Walker on their side knows and 
knows and does how, how to do it. So you're like, Delph is a bit of a liability in that defence. And then it proved to him that like he kind of took that one, it's only that one second of lapse of concentration that it took, of him thinking the ball was out of play, didn't play to the whistle, Song recovered it. Suddenly Delph is one step off Song in the six-yard box and you can't be there. Like you said, uh, Alison, not Alison, Ederson could have done better with that with this, this shot. And, we, you know, you've said it before, he's not a great shot stopper. That's not the key to his game. His key to the game is his footwork his control his you know kind of footballing brain which is what you know why he is and he's, he's done very well with yeah. that at City he was crucial last season for yeah, some of the players like it was the point that was made that like a keeper like De Gea or maybe even Alisson at Liverpool would have saved that shot with their feet but Alisson went to dive on it yeah Edison just kind of moved really weirdly yeah. trying to get his body on it but the ball had already passed through him by it was the like a shock body... that that had happened because Tottenham had nothing could show you that they were going to actually score in that match. Yeah, it kind of just kind of happened out of nowhere, yeah. really. Like it seemed like it was gonna just waste away to a nil all. Yeah. But I think for the excitement of the tie, generally the goal, the game needed a goal. Yeah. Because now I but feel like second legs where it's nil nil, it's a bit. It's mental. drab. It could go yeah. to penalties. But I didn't. That the thing you would think that normal, but then the rest there was a good enough amount of time left. To do something. Tw- like that was the other weird thing with Pep. Like he waited till the 89th minute to bring on Sané and De Bruyne. Like yeah. there was 11 minutes there before the 89th minute, but after the or yeah. it was 11 minutes left after the goal, I should say, where like they those two could have come on, and De Bruyne had time to take one free kick. I I personally think the two subs that bringing on De Bruyne and Sané was a political thing. So if he didn't bring them on, he knew the whole thing after the match would be when you bring on De Bruyne and Sané. But then it just became, why didn't you bring them on sooner? So. Yeah, but I think it's better because then people are like, oh, so they're falling out between the players or something like that. You know, they always get those shots of, uh, you know, Alan Shearer and Ruth Hollett back in 98 when uh, Hollett wasn't playing Shearer at Newcastle. And they're like looking at them and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, that's it. Like there would have been a shot of Pep and, and Kevin De Bruyne behind us and just Pep with his hand, head in hands and De Bruyne just looking on. It's like, why isn't he playing? So I think he did it for a reason. And he also made the point, which was weird, but... Like I have a bit of confidence towards it that he made the point after the match. Oh, sometimes there's a good, a one a one nil loss is a better than a nil all draw. Like that's absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it sounds rubbish. stupid to say. Yeah, <clears throat> it is, and it is, and it's I like Klopp blaming the wind for something. Yeah, I think it is completely stupid, but I think he, maybe he like, and we'll see whether his approach will be different on Wednesday. He'll go into this match with a different approach, and it was like the first match was a decoy. Like, I am, this is almost into the realm of conspiracy theory. <laughs> but maybe he's putting them into a false sense of security, knowing that they would have a comfortable victory, Spurs, that is, would have a comfortable victory over Huddersfield at the weekend, and then, what you know, absolutely, like, paint the town red <laughs> with the remains of so, Spurs players. So you think it could be a 3 or 4 nil maybe, scenario on Wednesday? I, I don't, I wouldn't go that far, but I'd be confident of a Man City win, because I, I, I don't see... But a Man City win I, isn't necessarily good enough. 2-1 and City yeah, are out. Yeah, City are out. Yeah, that's true. So maybe the tie won't be decided. Like, they are playing them again the following weekend, or this weekend coming. Uh, in the Premier League. In the Premier League, and that's a game Man City need to win. But I don't know whether... I feel, like, inside, I feel that Man City are good enough and the Spurs side are limited enough. They've lost Hurricane. they played a lot of matches. They're playing three City three times a week, which is tough for a team that runs as much as City, that pushes you back as much as City that really restricts your way of playing and it's like it's not fun to play against Manchester City I don't know if anyone's noticed that any Pep Guardiola site it's not fun it's never fun to play against a team that make you run the whole match 
and not run in a positive way. It makes you run after the ball. It makes you defend and run back and keep very tight and compact. It's a hard and exhausting thing to do. Um, I don't know if they have that willpower and that stamina to last out three full matches without conceding a few goals. But I think it just it depends which matches they can see those goals in. Is it going to be in the Champions League match, or will it be at the league at the weekend? Because I think I I would be confident of City winning the league match, but you know, regardless of the score, if they lose, you know, Spurs will go in not caring because they're in the Champions League semi final, and they'll you know City will roll them over, or if they win, it'll just be City on their confidence streak and just keep on winning matches, and that's how they'll end up with championships at the end of it. Yes, it's it's very interesting because like with both managers, you get the feeling that they'd much rather win the Champions League than yeah. the league or yeah. league or in Pochettino's case, top four. Yeah. Although top four is so important for for Tottenham as well, just for Financial the whole sense, new yeah. stadium. Yeah. yeah, but then the other two matches, Ajax against Juventus. We were trying to watch these both at the same time. Yeah. I think the Ajax match kind of drew our attention a little more, especially after Ajax scored. <coughs> Ajax did exactly what they did against Real Madrid. But they're so good. They are. Yeah, but that's it. They, they, that's what I mean. I'm not saying that in a negative light. I'm saying that, and I don't even. I'm not talking about the second leg because I think Ajax played better in the first leg that they lost to Real Madrid than they did in the second leg that they won four one. And I think it was a, a repeat of that first leg performance again. They drew one all. Fantastic goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. Although when I watched it, it was like there was one player in the in the Juventus side that you stop getting on the end of crosses. <laughs> Just one. That and you keep your eye on and always track. Yeah. And I know it's easier said than done, but he ran. He made a, a great one-two and ran into the box and headed the ball in. Keeper couldn't really do anything. There was so much pace on it. Don't let that happen. And that was the kind of this, naivety, yeah, naivety is from the Ajax team. And there was a bit of that in the Real Madrid match as well that they got done. Like uh, like the Real, the first leg Real Madrid, they scored two goals that were a bit fortuitous. Uh, one of them was very fortuitous. Like uh, all the referees may have called them up for a foul, where players got blocked off on the runs by other play- Real Madrid players. They were like Real Madrid knew how to play dirty in a way. They're streetwise, the exactly streetwise, and it was kind of like that with Real. Madrid. It was with Juventus. It was a sucker punch. Ajax had control. They played quite well, although Juventus were on the front foot for a lot of the first half. But they controlled and they played well, and they you know weren't letting Juventus have any clear cut chances. And then it just took one lapse concentration. Frankie De Jong losing Ronaldo in midfield, and then there was the damage was done. And it's like just don't lose your player. Like, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a per, uh, Pep Guardiola here, and I'm gonna say that a one all draw was a better result than winning two one against Juventus for Ajax. Yeah, because they go in having the need to score. Yeah, they need to score. Like they went to the Bernabeu, and they knew they needed to score, and they scored instantly. Yeah. It was like one of the first few minutes of that match, and they scored a second really quickly. Yeah. And part of that, of course, is down to the fact that Madrid just cannot defend. No, especially when Ramos is intentionally mm-hmm. suspended. Uh, and I hope we never forget that he was intentionally suspended that much because it is hilarious. Uh, and obviously, you may have a better defense, but if they are still missing Chiellini. I think they, they can be got at, especially yep. if uh, Ajax go in. And they're not going to play any differently. They're going to go out and they're going to be courageous and brave and they're going to go out and attack Juve and Juve are going to invite them on like they like yep. to do. Yep. And that could be Juve's downfall in the yep. way that it was Atletico's downfall against Juve in the last round. Like, I don't see it being as bad as what Atletico I don't think it'll be 4-1, yeah. Either. No, but not even what, you know, not the, even the Real Madrid match, but the... What Atletico did was kind of despicable. Just sitting back, you're not going to beat us three 0 That was cowardice. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Or it was it was it was gumption or what sort? It was arrogance, I think, more than anything else. And yeah, they they did lose three 0 I don't think it'd be Juventus are stupid enough to do that because Allegri's cl- more clever than that. But they did lose to Spal this weekend, 
like which is a bad loss considering if they had got anything they probably would have won the league yeah with victory would have won them the league yeah title. like which is bizarre and like they, they couldn't pull out a performance just for that one match to win it and win the league considering how long they've gone all season and you, they like we said before the match, Juventus don't know how to play against. No one really does, but Juventus in particular, are a team that are used to winning, used to once they put a, once they put a hand on a team, like and they take a lead against the team and they kind of push them back. They're like you're in your box now, just stay there and we'll win the match. That's how almost every match goes in Serie A for them. They're not a huge competitive risk. They don't play teams often that really put just, them under just pressure. Just a few matches against maybe the Milan side, yeah, and Napoli, the, yeah, and the odd Champions League match. And that's it in a whole season. And they came against this Ajax side who, and saying that, even those few matches that they play against Milan or Napoli or uh, in the Champions League, if Juventus start taking the lead and start playing well, which they were at times against Ajax, the teams don't come back against them because they're Juventus. They're, yeah, they have that draw about them and they have that aura about them. And they have Cristiano Ronaldo, they have Ken, they have uh, like all these young players coming through. Like Allegri's done it again and built another new side. Every year he does it that wins the league like they're good teams but this Ajax side just showed something more it's like I thought when that goal went in oh no because this is like Ronaldo scored and everything like it's it's written in the stars now that Juventus will go win the Champions League or something stupid like that <clears throat> and just Ajax came out what was it Thirty less than 30 seconds 30, sec- and it wasn't just like they came out and they scored a goal they came out and they scored an absolutely amazing yeah. goal Neres absolutely yeah. smashed it because yeah. we were in the weird position and we were watching on my laptop and we yeah. were kind of behind what was actually live Yeah, but we had the TV on yeah, and they were sh- what I looked over. They were showing the they were showing the because uh, we were watching the main out of Barcelona, Barcelona match, so yeah, on, on the TV, TV, and they had they just said, oh, Ajax have already scored right before they went. But to the, I, I glanced over the TV. I thought it was I thought it was a replay. I thought it was a replay of the because it was at the same end that Ronaldo had just scored because they switched sides obviously, and I thought oh it's just they're just showing the Ronaldo because I saw the net rattling and I was like oh and I was like that didn't look right. No, I I was watching it and I I I think I watched clicked onto it before you did like yeah, I yeah, yeah, you was did, happening. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, they're showing a goal there. I must have missed something in the first half there where I scored just a goal. But wait a minute, they were shooting into that goal. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, like, then it clicked to me. It was like, wait a minute, they've scored a goal. Yeah. Like, it was that early in the half that, like, it was 30 yeah. seconds, I'd say. I don't know if, I, if you've had two touches of the ball. Oh, I don't think they did. I it, think was it was just all Ajax. It yeah. was reminiscent of the 1974 World Cup final. Yeah. <laughs> the, the opening minute of that where, where Netherlands got a penalty without Germany switching the ball. Yeah, it was uh, Beckenbauer took down Cruyff in the box. Was it Beckenbauer? I think it was Beckenbauer, yeah, to come down. Yeah, no, can score the penalty then. But yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, uh, but then Ajax kept the tempo up now. And they should have scored. They didn't score. Oh, they and had plenty of they chances. They had loads of chances. They had loads of the ball. They had loads of the pressure. They played some fantastic football. There was often times where they had three or four players overlapping in the box. Yeah. And you meant to know what to do. And they're not used to that at all. And no one's really used to that when a team like that is playing at their top level. You can't cope with it. Generally speaking, Real Madrid couldn't cope with it. Juventus couldn't cope with it. They just got lucky that they couldn't finish off. Ajax couldn't finish it off. And then at the other side, we still saw the old Ajax that like led to the first goal going in. That led to them conceding whatever three goals in the end was it against uh, Real Madrid over the two times. Yeah, two three nights. goals. Yeah. It was uh, like they're still weak on the left hand side of their defense, <laughs> and it happened again. And fortunately for Ajax, Juventus could only hit the post. Otherwise, that would have been a bit two away goals. Yeah, like you can turn it around against Real Madrid or Juve, but doing it against both is yeah, it, it'll be a, a tough toll. Yeah. yeah, so I'm very excited for that match on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, Ajax could do it. Yeah, they it, could do it. We'll it see. It's perfectly poised. Like yeah. a lot of these matches are kind of poised. Yeah. Like Manchester United, Barca is poised in a way, but you, you, like they may not obviously did the miraculous comeback against PSG, but 
comparing PSG and Barcelona, you just can't really, yeah. especially the new camp. Like yeah. Barcelona lost like one game in ten years or something yeah. in the Champions League yeah. at the new camp or something ridiculous like that. Like, yeah. and especially I think the last English team to beat them at the new camp was. Liverpool 2007. Yeah, Craig Bellamy. Yeah, Not Craig Bellamy. That was when he did the golf swing. Golf swing to imitate to him trying to kill, kill John Arisa. Yeah. Good times for Craig Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. He's a, a madman, that Craig Bellamy. Uh, said he was willing to go to prison if... Uh, for a joke. Like, yeah, that, that was... Uh, Craig Bellamy's a strange fellow. Yeah, you should look up the excerpt from that book. I think it's in The Guardian, if, yeah. you, if you don't know what we're talking about. But Barcelona, like Messi, wasn't, wasn't actually as influential in this game as I thought he Set might be. But he did set up the goal. And he did get absolutely poleaxed by... Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was blood all over. It was so weird because it looked like he just went down, whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gets up and blood just... Yeah, blood flowing, flowing out. Flowing out. And then a couple of days later, Phil Jones was bleeding at, uh, against West Ham. Let's try get those those bloods mixed. <laughs> Let's create a superhuman. The ultimate human. It was like X-Men. Imagine, Cyclops. imagine Phil Jones do what Messi does. Like that, yeah, would be, would be, that would be more impressive just to just to his lanky size. That would be so good. Uh, but yeah, Messi got caught. Chris Smalling, like you said, when we were watching the match. Like Ashley Young's gonna get sent off again. He only got a yellow card. They didn't really curl, boil over into something bad. But Man United, like. Didn't show much, didn't show much the weekend again, haven't shown much in recent weeks, they're kind of getting They this. didn't even have a shot on target. The post, yeah, the post Solskjaer appointment, like when he's been made official as manager. Is They've won of, two games, I think, since yeah, he was made it's official. Kind of, it's kind of sucked the life out of them. Like, no one's acting up yet, there's no one kind of fighting back and saying, oh, this regime isn't working and blah, 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 which is would be worrying at this point. It really would, yeah. But, yeah, it's not looking bright for... And it never was, in fairness. All they have to do is keep this respectful in some way. They haven't in the first leg by only losing 1-0 if they, they lose 1-0 at the new camp they can hold their heads yeah, high yeah. Whatever. which probably they're going to be their goal in this because I don't bar like bar an early you say goal. Barcelona are bad and they were they weren't great like they, they made a lot Sloppy, of sloppy uh, especially a lot of that back. was a lot of that was drawn from like not being like there was a lot of high ten, high pressure pressing for lack of a better phrase from the Man United attacking but but, but like they did nothing once they would put them under pressure like a couple Busquets got booked could have got sent off as well yeah he's a master of that Irish yeah well I think it was just a kind of a levelling of the playing field because I think the referee thought he'd you know made a few the, mistakes the, both the, yeah the referee had a strange game yeah. giving yellows for like nothing like at one point I think it was he did it too he gave uh, he gave some Vidal, Vidal yeah. Vidal card for actually not making any contact even but it was Vidal so you kind of okay and Vidal even took it as like yeah I suppose I'm, then, I get a yellow card and then five minutes later the exact same thing happened but with Jesse Lingard yeah really. and he gave it and, and Jesse Lingard was like me? yeah like, what <laughs> did he do? Touch yeah, him, yeah. like that kind of way and then there was other stuff where he like it was a blatant yellow card and he didn't give them yeah. a yellow card so it was yeah, just yeah there weird. was a few yeah there was a few things both ways but I think the, the worrying thing from and it isn't a worrying thing from Man United's point of view but maybe for the upcoming ties the hope that a lot of Manchester United fans might have is that oh you know they're 1-0 behind Barcelona aren't any great shakes in defence they have Messi sure but if you can get a, f- a goal or something past them it's an away goal that counts for more so on and so forth but uh the the thing is with all that Barcelona could easily have racked up the gear like they were in low gears they could have easily gone up a few gears and twisted it a different way entirely against Manchester United they seem to be very happy with their 1-0 lead they made defensive substitutions to be more solid and yeah they, they didn't bring more, on Dembele no and they became more solid when they made those defensive teams. that's something for Valverde he is a more um, he's a going home manager he isn't someone who's going to go out there and 
just go for goals for the sake of goal and going for goals. He's he is a bit more conservative. Yeah, he's a pragmatist, essentially. And, you know, I think that show for Barcelona in the second leg, I think they I think they conserved energy. I don't I think they got their goal earlier than maybe they thought they would and they just, you know, took it easy from then on. And they could have got a few more if they'd taken their chances, but I think going back to the second leg, they'll have seen what Paris Saint Germain did. They will not make the same mistakes that Paris Saint Germain did, which were completely individualistic mistakes, but they're going to control the game in a much higher way. And they could also see that okay, Man United can be got at. Just target their fullbacks. Target the well, they won't even have Luke Shaw draft. either. Exactly. So you're like, oh, this Manchester United side. Like Solskjaer will go hoping for a probably like obviously he's gonna hope for a victory, but taking if they were to be defeated, there'd be no shame in it. But you'd hope that they can kind of muster something different up to what they did. Like will Lukaku start again? That's a question. He started against Barcelona, did nothing. Yeah, he and he was eventually he was he ta- he was yeah, taken he off, wasn't off. he? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be like it was actually quite interesting because Scott McTominay was thrown in having not played much. So such an angry man. Yeah, but like he did a couple. Like he played a lot better than you would think. Like yeah. this time last year, he was considered a bit of a joke because of Mourinho and the way that Mourinho yeah. talked about him. But much better like, than Paul Pogba. At one point, at one point, like the Vidal was coming into him on the box, like really quickly to put a bit of pressure on him. Most players would have booted it out, but yeah. McTominay did this like really cool turn to get it around him and just ca- calmly. Played the ball forward. It was yeah. like he was really composed performance. Yeah, he was him. a fine, fine. He, he just, and it's no offense to him, but like when he was up against some of the Barcelona midfielders, when they were like when he they were coming onto him when he was defending, you kind of felt he this guy's out of his depth. It's a, and the thing as well, like I've it seen felt a, lot a bit of Jordan that, Hendersony. I've, yeah, that is actually a pretty good comparison. But a lot, I've seen a lot of criticism of Pogba as well. And on one hand, obviously I, I get it; he didn't yeah. play particularly well. But on the other hand, like. He's playing with Fred and McTominay in midfield. Yeah. Like he's, he was, he's like, being asked to carry that team in I, midfield. I felt Solskjaer approached the match in a wrong way in terms of shape. Like he had the right setup in front of the tactics to put the pressure on the front. I, I, I think the back five didn't work, and that no. and, and that's proof of that is how much better they were after the goal. Yeah. Like when you like you were pointing out before the goal, like oh look, Man United you know, they've set eleven players in their own half. Yeah, they've constantly everyone, pretty much behind everyone behind the ball, bear maybe Lukaku. Yeah, and then after the goal went in, they couldn't really play like that anymore no. because they had to go out and score. Yeah, and while they didn't muster a shot on target, they did have one good chance that Dallo managed well, to headed across the goal. Yeah, made, it was basically a pass more yeah. than a shot when he was in free space. Uh, but they were just much better. They when they actually went at Barcelona, they looked like they might rattle them, and they just. Yeah weren't good enough really uh, so like I think Solskjaer got the starting 11 wrong I think the back 5 experiment just didn't work and I also like in, in defence of Pogba he got he was played in a 10 position for the match with Fred and McTominay behind him so there, there's a 3 man core in midfield with Pogba meant to advance and support the attackers and the 2 guys meant to sit back and absorb the defence completely isolated for the match basically Puskett Puskett sat on top of Pogba and for the most part part of that one time when he got caught and I think he got booked for pulling him back Yeah, yeah. that that was the only time he got around him that was a mistake from Barcelona defence and even in the second half when they made a few more changes trying to get Pogba more into the game they kept him in that 10 position which isn't what his best position is never has been he's better as playing a kind of one man of that three midfield if they're playing a more a more centralised midfield and I think that's what they'll probably return to in the second leg to kind of keep it more balanced because it was very top heavy. You or very. It wasn't balanced. Top heavy in 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 regards that they had four attacking players on at any one time. Manchester United, to the six def, like, defensive players plus the keeper, and it didn't work at all really well. 
and you're like, uh, will that? Will they do it again? Like they're very disjointed. Like I'm, I'm wondering what Solskjaer's plan is, is with it because he's playing, playing weird football. That's not, you know, he may think it's a Manchester United way to play this kind of play, play them on the wings and play high tempo pressure, but it's not really working with these sets of players. And maybe it's something he can work on next season, but for the second leg and for the rest of the Premier League season, he needs to kind of re-graft this Manchester United side to get more use out of these new players he's he's brought into the side the likes the mctominay has been brought back in Fred's been brought back in and like if that's your team for the rest of the season you need to adjust how you're playing them because it's not working in that kind of four or whatever five two one kind of weird formation he was playing against Barcelona yeah and obviously the second legs I'm looking forward to second legs as I said like they're kind of well poised so should yeah. be no, Should I think exciting. there'll be a contest there by Barcelona taking an early lead. But even if like that match does end up with Barcelona running away, we still have Ajax, Juve on at the same time. And then on Wednesday, we've got Man City against Tottenham. So, yeah. some good matches to look and forward Liverpool to. Liverpool-Porto. Yeah. For anybody else. <laughs> match of the week. 5-0 to Porto. We've looked ahead now to the Champions League, but there's still a very tense title race going on in the Premier League. As we mentioned, Manchester City play Tottenham again. Yeah, they can never on escape. Saturday. Yeah, they won't play for ages. It'll be like next yeah. season where they play again, which is bizarre. another whole three months. Yeah, yeah. I know it's crazy. Uh, as I said in the in the previous Champions League, I don't see Spurs winning the league match at all. Yeah, I put I put City probably as favourites. Like you've said it before, that uh, City need to win all of the remaining games because Liverpool have an easier run in than City and if, like given the way it is what is a two point difference when two re- points with City having a game in hand yeah well yeah exactly so uh, you're like will Liverpool actually win the league title it, 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 you're getting to a very interesting part of the season because there's only four games left for Liverpool like if they do what they're meant to do and win the remaining four games any drop points for City then is that's it yeah that's, that's it done. yeah and it's it's like it's not in their own hands because if they win their four matches, they could still not win the league. But it's as close as they were going to get in their own hands for twenty nine years. Yeah, I think if you would offer Klopp, you know, win your last four games and you have a decent chance of winning the league, yeah. I think he'd have taken that. You have like a a forty five percent chance of winning the league. Yeah, um, uh, and they are away to Cardiff, which is you know as winnable a game nearly as it gets. Yeah, especially the way Cardiff are approaching matches against bigger sides at the moment. Of, Seems you know, like. They've given up after yep. that Chelsea defeat. Like yeah. they lost two 0 to Burnley. They had a hilarious penalty chalked off. <laughs> Mike Dean had given them a penalty like on halftime or right mm-hmm. as the second half started, and the assistant was like, "No, that's not a penalty." <laughs> and Mike Dean somehow listened to him. Oh, Mike Dean! Uh, so I imagine Neil Warnock was pretty annoyed at that, even yeah. though I believe it was the correct decision. Yeah. Uh, so I say Cardiff are done. They're five points behind Brighton, who. Um, play, um, they play each other soon, yeah, actually. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much the, be the, end of that. the playoff, as, yeah. it, as it were. A Brighton lost 5 0 to Bournemouth uh, at the weekend, actually. That Which was, was something, one. but it was kind of a weird match in that. They were down to 10 men for a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. And but Bournemouth's away form. Ra- reined in very quickly. But the Bournemouth's away form is so terrible that like, that's a little worrying for Bor- or for Bright- Brighton. Yeah, they're, they're playing badly at the wrong time of the season. Like They showed nothing against Man City in the FA Cup semi final. Maybe that's. Maybe this is the hangover from that, that they were so close to something special. Because in real terms, they could have won the FA Cup if they'd beaten Man City. Like, they probably would have been favourites. 
given the team they had beaten to get to the final. Yeah, just given the momentum. Then yeah, they would exactly. Have. So now it's like, oh, back down to earth, back down to a relegation battle. But again, they're playing. I'm sure Chris Hutton's like, we're going to play Cardiff. That one match will see us through and see us clear. And that's all that matters. And then the top four battle remains as tight as ever. We've got uh, Tottenham obviously playing Manchester City, but Manchester United go away to Everton. Uh, Everton, as we said, lost to Fulham, but their form yeah, up to that bizarre, point. But before, yeah, but their form since the beginning of March has been something you know to you know, be happy about. They they've climbed back into that weird, top, you know, seventh place race that they're in. Ever since they it was a draw with uh, Liverpool. Ever since then, yeah. I think they've kind of got their mojo back. They stabilized a, a bit. Yeah, Pickford's played well. Seamus Coleman's played well. Guilty Sigerson still, you know, does stuff for them. Has thirteen goals a season. Yeah, which is something crazy. Uh, and they're they're slowly kicking on. I'm still not sold on Marco Silva at Everton. But then, what do you expect from Everton? Do you expect them to challenge the top four, or do you expect them to be challenging for seventh? I think and with the the poor signings they've made, it's hard to really expect yeah. them. Like they've spent a lot of money, but they've not spent well, it well. They've you say they've spent a lot of money, but they're that's kind of the going right now for mid level players. They've spent a lot of money in, in total, but. They've just bought a load of mid-ranking players and they're they're as expected. Like, Theo Walcott's not going to win you a league. Czech Tosin isn't going to win yeah, you a league. Yeah, she's thinking of them, thinking of, like, uh, what's his name, that ended up at Napoli, Jamie Classen. Yeah. Or uh, the Morgan Schneiderlin, like, players yeah. like that, like, just didn't really work no. out for them. Yeah, it's true. But, they, they, yeah, they're, they're, they'll be in that seventh-place race. I think Manchester United have... You know, it's not the best match they could be playing next. Like, Everton have put up good performance. They put up good performance against Liverpool earlier in the season. The Jordan Pickford match where he threw the ball into the net. Like, they played well in that match. They, 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 sure they, they beat, beat Arsenal. They beat Arsenal, Arsenal beat Chelsea. Beat Chelsea. You know, against the bigger teams, the so-called big, the big, te- the big six, or whatever you want to call them these days. They, they've done well. And at, at Goodison as well, they, they like, it'll be their last big match between now and the end of the season, you'd imagine. Yeah, I imagine the fans would be up for yeah. it. So, even if Everton don't have much to play for other than seventh place, yeah. which might not mean anything come the end of the season. Yeah. I, I, like, I still expect Everton to give it a good go. Like, they, they have a good enough record at home against Manchester United. They've stifled them in the past. Like, think of the four-all draw yeah. in 2011 or even there was a three-all draw a couple of years before that. Yeah. So they know how to get a result against Manchester United, yeah. against good Manchester United sides yeah. under Ferguson, let alone this well, the last hodgepodge. Years they haven't been bad against them. They, they basically win one, lose one. Yeah, it's it kind of been like that. Although yeah. I remember Louis Van Gaal had a decent enough record. Yeah, he attempted, like he did against Liverpool as well. Yeah, um, he really likes Merseyside. He does, he does. He seems to love the, the Liverpudlians. Uh, and then praise be for Arsenal, they have a home match next week. Uh, <laughs> so they won't actually win. Yeah, we It'll, it'll be into Arsenal need to break that duck and then I think they'll comfortably finish in the top four if they don't like they've had a good performance against Napoli in the Europa League last week they won 2-0 comfortably could have been a lot more we'll probably see into the semi-finals of the Europa League as a result of that presuming they can somehow get their waveform working a little bit better even just a little just a little well they're getting better like but for like they, they've lost some horrible matches away from home this season like the last time they went to Liverpool twice this year they lost 5-0 then 1-0 that's progress <laughs> that is progress or 5-1-1-0 so like They've got it down to one goal deficit. So they're playing Watford after we've recorded. So that's their first test. I If they do well in that one, I don't see... If they win that, that should be the turning point for yeah. them. I think. And then they play Napoli and then they play another... If, if Arsenal have beaten Watford by the time you hear this, I would expect Arsenal to yeah. finish in the top four. Yeah. It's again, like Palace like, is, next, is the next match and it's, 
you know, it's Palace at home. They have a decent record against Palace. Palace Even if, are on holidays. Yeah, like Palace have actually got a really good away record. So yeah. and they do pretty well against big teams. But I, I again, I'd expect them to be yeah. pretty quiet. In if this Arsenal one. come through against Napoli, they'll be on a pretty good run of momentum. Yeah, and I, I'd see think that will be enough to see them through. And then Chelsea host Burnley and at home I Chelsea, expect Chelsea um, to Chelsea, win that. Yeah, I would expect them to win it because Burnley are safe and they're kind of. Uh, yeah, know, Burnley don't have much left yeah, to play for. Not really, and I, I don't expect them to put out that much. Like Sean Dyke lo- likes a bit of Chelsea. He used to work for them. Not that that's uh, I'm implying anything there, but I I think he won't. He won't be overly gone on this match. I think he'll 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 do a nice bit of experimentation between now and the end of the season. See what's going on for his team for next year. And that's what will happen. And if they lose, they lose. But the problem with Chelsea at this point is they've played 34 matches and they're in, what, fifth? They're in fourth currently. They're in fourth at the moment. But But everyone else is the last game at least to catch up. In Arsenal's case, they had two games. Exactly. And by the time this comes around, they could well be in sixth place. Oh, yeah, because Arsenal should have just played their two games in hand by then. So, Yeah. yeah. It'll be yeah. I, I, Burnley beat them last year. In the, yep. the Ireland three, Burnley or Chelsea two. Yeah, but that was bad Chelsea. Yeah, that was che- and Burnley were on a high then. Exactly. That, yeah. that was Burnley ended up finishing seventh last year, so they were clearly much better then than they are yeah. now. Uh, and even though like Burnley are kind of the the worst kind of team Chelsea could be playing in the way that they sit deep and yeah. they frustrate them, I still I would expect Chelsea to just win this one nil, maybe two nil. Hazard will pull them. Yeah, dragged them through it. Yeah, they didn't play badly against against Liverpool. And they played well against the Jokinbach West Ham. West Ham during the week. Hazard scored a nice goal. Yeah, so he seems to be kicking into form right at the end of the season when they don't need it anymore. Right uh, when Real Madrid come knock. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we, I I would agree with you, but I think it might be a case of too little, too late for Chelsea and their top four ambitions. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. But an exciting week of football ahead yeah. again, and hopefully it all lives up to expectations. I, I, it's, we're basically predicting complete status quo from this week, next week. Yeah. But, I, like I, the top four will roughly be in the top I, four. Of the, of, City will still be on top. Of the top four uh, teams, uh, of the third to sixth, I would expect Tottenham probably to lose points over everyone else. I would maybe expect Man United yeah. to drop points. Yeah, it's Tottenham are most likely to drop points. Man United are second most likely to drop points. Probably then, 60 40. And then the two others are major or 50, uh, 55 45. And then the two other clubs, Chelsea and Arsenal, would be expect to pick up maximum points. Yeah, I'd expect those two to win, especially if they know all the other teams which would basically points. lead us to exactly the same position that we're in at the moment. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, it all lives up to expectations anyway, and we'll be back in next <laughs> week. Hopefully, it doesn't. Hopefully, there's something different, and then you can all give out to us for being wrong. Yeah, hopefully, something happens that's positive in Irish football this week, uh, yeah. or just something not entirely negative. Who knows? Who knows? Be. Maybe I, John Delaney will be know, shot out of a cannon this time next week. We can all live in hope. In like a kind of uh, evil can evil yeah. value. Yeah, it could it could be funny and you know, you know the the more the merrier in terms of re- re- revelations. Like I want to hear more of this stuff. I want to get more and more outlandish. So let's like, get it as juicy as possible. Yeah, exactly. Because if we're going that way, we may as well go to the end. Yeah, let's go the whole hog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say. <laughs>